0: Hi, everybody. Good morning. Um, if you look in the bulletin today, you'll probably see that there's not a sermon title. Um, if any of you guys know me at all, you'll know that I'm late for everything. So I didn't get that in on time. Um, I was thinking last night about what I might call it if I had submitted one, and I was thinking of Sherlock Holmes and the mystery of the unfolding gospel, although I thought that might be a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> um... But I love mysteries. I love mystery movies, mystery books, mystery stories, not mystery meat. But the, my favorite part about mysteries is using the clues that are left in the story to figure out the identity and the motive of the person who done it. As we start this series on who you are, um, about discovering our identity in Christ through the gospel in Ephesians, I think it's appropriate to think about this idea of mystery. You see, the word mystery appears in every other chapter of Ephesians. It's it's a recurring theme that occurs in Ephesians. And it's referring to an understanding of God's plan of redemption that was previously unknown before Christ, but has now been made known through Christ. So in our passage today, we're going to be examining the past, present, and future blessings that we have been given in the gospel through Christ Jesus in order to understand our identity in Christ. We'll also use those same blessings to understand God's motivation in giving us these blessings in the gospel. And I trust that as we look at these blessings, we will see that we will be encouraged to rejoice in what God has given us. Um, So let's take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you that you use imperfect people To proclaim your word. And Father, right now I feel weak, but I know that strength is found in our weakness because you are a God of grace. So I pray that your Spirit would just be teaching us today, um, that we might marvel in the grace and majesty of your gospel. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so if you haven't turned there already, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. So Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, which is which was in a region which is now modern day Turkey. He wrote it in about eighty sixty and he wrote it while he was in prison. Interestingly enough, he opens up with a pretty cheery tone for somebody who's writing from prison. Just check out in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does Paul mean when he says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? What he's saying there is that every treasure of heaven has been given to us in the gospel, that everything that God could give to us has been given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when he starts with that message, he can't help but to proclaim God's grace and just rejoice in the fact that God has given us these blessings. And he kind of groups these blessings in terms of time, the past, present, and future blessings that God has given us in the gospel. So let's start off with these past blessings. and um, Let's read again in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose us before the foundation of the world. This means that before he hung the stars in place, before, before the earth even had a place to lay, before he called the darkness night, and he, before he called the light day, he called us by name. You see, before the foundation of the world, God cared about us, he chose us, and he knew us. That is the blessing that we have been given in the gospel. But there's more than that. What did he choose us for? What does it mean that he chose us in Christ? He chose us for two things, to be holy and blameless, and to be adopted as his children. Let's continue in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So first off, he chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. So he had to do this because we were separated from God by sin. Before creating the world, God blessed us by choosing us to be his righteous sons and daughters, and we needed to become holy and blameless because sin had separated humanity from God. Before the world was made and before God began to sew together the fabric of space and time, he made the plans to knit us together in our mother's wombs. And when sin tore the tapestry of God's glorious creation, he made sure that the thread of redemption weaved throughout human history ran right through us. See, God had a plan to save us before we even knew that we needed saving. He made us holy and blameless. But he didn't just stop us there. He didn't stop there, though. He also made us his children. Verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You see, he did not just choose to save us from sin. He didn't just choose to know us before the foundation of the world, but he wanted us to know him. That's why he adopted us into his family, into this close familial relationship that we have with God as our father. Paul doesn't elaborate here about what it means that God is our Father, but other places in Scripture do. By adopting us, the Bible tells us that we can be open with God, that we can approach him as our Abba, Daddy, our Papa. The Bible also says that because he is our Father, God knows what we need before we even ask of it, ask him of it. He is willing to give us the things that we need, and he always, always listens to our prayers. That's what it means for God to be our Father. And so, knowing the truth that God chose us to be His righteous children can bolster us against our doubts. Um, To illustrate, um, I want to tell you about a momentous occasion in history that happened six months after I was born. In November of 1995, the movie industry was changed because in November of 1995, Pixar released the first feature-length film made completely in computer graphics. Some of you know this movie as Toy Story. This is my favorite movie of all time. Um, and two main characters in the story are Woody, a cowboy doll, and Buzz, an intergalactic crime-fighting spaceman named Buzz. Um, I actually had both a Woody and Buzz when I was younger, and I loved them so much. Um, But Woody and Buzz, they go through this adventure of getting lost and getting separated from Andy, and they're trying to find their way back. And near the climax of the movie, Buzz learns his limitations and realizes that he is not actually a space ranger. He's just an insignificant toy. But at this point, Woody encourages and says these words, look. There is a kid out there who thinks that you are the greatest. And it's not because you're a space ranger, pal. It's because you are a toy. You are his toy. Christian, if you ever doubt that God cares about you, if you think that you're too insignificant or that you have fallen too far that God can never love you, don't believe it. You see, there is a God who thinks that you are significant. And it's not because of anything that you have done or haven't done. It's not because you are perfect, but because you're his child. You are his child. That's the blessing that we have been given in Christ Jesus. So in eternity past, God set his sights on us to be his righteous children. And after the world began and the fall came, he set in motion this plan to redeem us. Let's look at the next few verses in 6 through 10. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. now take a look at verses seven through ten. you'll notice that this is all one full sentence that Paul just keeps on adding uh, phrases and clauses just to describe more and more about what God has done with for us and Paul just can't wait to get the words out of his mouth. His, his tongue is dancing as he's telling the Ephesians the present blessings that we have been received and the redemption that we have been given through God's grace. Before time, God chose us, chose us to be his righteous children. But in order to realize those present blessings, he needed to act in time and redeem us. So through Jesus Christ, God gave us the present blessing of redemption by his grace. In verse 7, and in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This is the gospel plainly stated. We know that everyone has sinned, and because of that, sin brings death. And so since God had already chosen us in the past to be his righteous children, and he's seeing us in our present sinful state, he knew that he had to send someone righteous in order to die for us so that we might be free from those sins. And so because of that, God became a human so that he could pay the price of our sins himself. What does that bring us? Well, first, we see the fact that Jesus paid for our trespasses with a great cost of his own blood. Paul says it clearly in Romans 5, that because Jesus died for us, it shows the great love he has for us because no one would die for a righteous person because they don't need saving. Nobody would die for a good person because, or you might die for a good person because it's good to do good things to good people. But God demonstrates his love for us in what? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we know, so that we know that God loves us, and if Christ was loving enough for, to die for us while we were still sinners, if we sin now that we have been redeemed, we know that we can come back to him for forgiveness again and again. He gave us forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Just like a parent cannot resist lavishing hugs and kisses on their infant child, God cannot resist forgiving us when we ask for grace and lavishing that grace on us. I want to take note that Christ also didn't die because of anything we did. God redeemed us according to his purpose. We'll revisit that a little bit later, but I just wanted to point that out here. For now, what we learn from these verses is that our identity identity is that we are chosen in Christ to be righteous children of God who have been redeemed with grace that is lavished on us. So those are the present, those are the blessings that God has given us in this present age. So now let's look at what the blessings that we have been given, that will will be given in the future age, starting in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will so that you who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So now that we have been predestined by God, we have been given this future blessing of an inheritance. This inheritance is the eternal life that we will receive when that is promised to us through redemption in Christ. Also, when Paul says that we who are the first to hope in Christ, he's referring to the fact that he and the Ephesian believers that he are writing to are among the first generation of believers who were able to trust in Christ as a person because he had just come. But because we also hope in Christ, we are included in those who are destined to be to the praise of his glory. Um, now before I explain a little bit more about this future blessing, I want to pause a little bit and explain something about the word of truth um, in verse thirteen. Paul writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So the word of words of truth that Paul mentions here are the same words that we hear today. Um, this point isn't central to Paul's message, but I think it's important to pull out. Um, my father is an apologist, um, which means that he studies apologetics, which is providing reasons for the logical defense of our faith, um, and using those to strengthen us, to encourage us, and also to help teach others about what our faith is about. Now, because my father is an apologist, I grew up and heard a lot about all sorts of different reasons that our faith is verifiable, and one of those things is The preservation of the Bible. You see, Paul's letter to the Ephesians was, was just that in his time. It was a letter to a church. But God made sure that that letter was preserved from all the way in AD 60 until now. And the fact that we still have these words is a miracle. The fact that this letter and every other book in the 66 book tome that we call the Bible today is a miracle. You see, the Bible was written by over 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years, and 2,000 years have passed since the last book was written. But through all that time, the central message of God's plan to unite heaven and earth runs throughout the entire Bible. The fact that we have heard those words of truth so long after they had been originally spoken is evidence of God's faithfulness and is a blessing to us. Um, But let's continue and look back at the future blessings that we have verse 13 In him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit This blessing being sealed in the spirit is interesting because we are presently sealed in the spirit we have been given an inheritance but it also has these future effects Paul doesn't mention the other blessings that we have in being sealed by the spirit today um, but other places in scripture do. Um, in John 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit now convicts us of sin and guides us in truth. John also writes in 1 John that the Spirit of God testifies to us that Jesus is the Son of God. And more than that, Paul in Romans tells us that we are sel- that the Spirit testifies that we ourselves are sons and daughters of God. But if those things weren't enough, Paul writes here in Ephesians that the Spirit of God is the guarantee and seal of our inheritance. Um, Let's continue reading. 13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee and a seal. A guarantee is, is a deposit, and living in Chicago, a lot of us know about deposits. We, A lot of us have rented apartments or are leasing apartments for a term, and we have to pay a security deposit to the landlord to assure him or her that we intend to take care of the apartment while we are in that apartment until the term of our lease is up. What Paul is saying here is that the Spirit has been given to us by God as a deposit to us to assure us that God intends to take care of us until the time of our current residency here on earth is fulfilled and we get to receive our inheritance in heaven. So that's the assurance that we have through the Spirit now. The Holy Spirit is also a seal. Um, When letter writing was common back in those times, a common way of um, conveying information and important information, you had to verify that the letter was from who it said it was. And so in order to do that, letters were sealed with wax and printed with an insignia. So these these insignias had either the author's name or or their image or some sort of symbol that identified them so that the person who receives the letter can trust that the contents of the letter were actually written by that author. And so God has stamped us through the Spirit with his own name so that when we go to receive eternal life, we will be recognized by God's Spirit impressed on us. You see, knowing that God has put his name on us can be a great comfort. Before the foundation of the world, he knew your name. When he redeemed you through Christ's blood, he wrote your name in a book. And when he sealed you with his spirit, he put his name on you. So we have seen that through the future blessing, we have received this inheritance and this confidence of the seal through the spirit. And that through the past, present, and future blessings, we see that the gospel, the mystery of the gospel has unfolded, and that we can see our identity in Christ is that we are the chosen, righteous children of God who have been redeemed and guaranteed a future inheritance of eternal life. Every spiritual blessing that we could ask for has been given to us. So that is our identity in Christ. But what about the motive? We know the identity, but what is the motive behind God giving us these blessings? By examining each of these clues, we can get insight into God's motive in the gospel. So we have seen that God's love was demonstrated for us in in choosing to adopt us as his children, for him inviting us into his family to be our father. And we also see that he demonstrated that through dying on the cross for us and putting his own name on us, So one aspect of God's motive in the gospel is God's love motivates him to give us these blessings. Another aspect of God's motive is found in verses 8 through 10. So let's back up and read there. So it's saying that we have been redeemed according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So we see that God's plan is to unite us in Christ so that he might bring glory to his own name. So the other aspect, along with love, is God's own glory. That's why he gave us these blessings in the gospel. How does that motivate us? Why is it un- important to know that God is motivated by his love and his glory? Well, it brings us security. Throughout this passage, we've highlighted that God gave us, gave us these blessings apart from anything that we have done. Six times God's purpose, plan, and His will have been mentioned, showing that God is doing this for His own, God is doing this for His glory, God is doing this also for love. Since we know that God is doing this for His glory and love for us, and that these blessings are wrapped up in his glory, that he is made more glorious by giving us these blessings, we know that these blessings were given, are given, and will be given because we are assured that God is that God is passionate to love us and passionate to pursue his glory. So, after all is said and done, we see that the God of all creation According to his plan, motivated by his love for us and his own glory, made us his chosen, righteous children, redeemed us, and guaranteed us a future inheritance of eternal life with him. Paul's response is to express gratitude and the praise of God's glory, and I believe that's the only response that we have, um, or that's the proper response that we should have, to rejoice in the glory that we have been given. So, one final note that I want to say before we close, um, that all these blessings, past, present, and future, are available to those who have believed in Christ, but only to those who have believed in Christ. I would be remiss not to mention that if you don't know Christ, you, you are missing out on so much blessing and love that God has given us through the gospel. Um, and so if you do not know Him, then Talk to one of us, talk to one of the pastors or the elders or anybody in the church, and we'll be happy to let you know more about what it means to believe in the gospel. Um, So in conclusion, um, I just want to paraphrase the prayer that Paul ends at the the end of this chapter. Um, So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the great treasure that you have given us in the gospel. I thank you that your glory is evident here in Edgewater through the faith of the body and the love that is shown to each other in this church. I pray that you would continue to open our eyes to the unveiled mystery of the gospel. Remind us of the hope that you called us to long before in the past. Deepen our knowledge of the immeasurable greatness of your power that you have worked and are working in us now through Jesus' death on the cross and set our hopes on the riches of the glorious inheritance of eternal life that we will have in Christ. You have given us every blessing of heaven in Christ, and we await the day when we will see the risen risen Christ in heaven. I pray this in the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen.